So uh, over the last couple of weeks as we've been doing this series called Kings and Kingdoms, we've been actually looking at the various cycles of sin that the nation of Israel went through. They actually went through a 400-year period, six different cycles of sin. And if you remember what I shared with you, Raise up, you remember what they're called? Who were the people called? What were they called? Judges, right. He would raise up these people called. They would come in and, and judge the land and, and help to bring them back to repentance. We get to the end of this 400-year period, and they've again sinned against God. So the very last chapter, of the, in the very last verse of the book of Judges says this. Judges chapter 21, verse 5. In those days, Israel had what? And all did whatever was right in their own. This is the exact same mistake that I talked to you about back in week one of the series. That everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, in their own sight. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. And once again, God was bringing punishment upon them. In this particular case, it was the Philistines and the Amorites. Miserable. Now, remember, the judges, they spoke on behalf of God, not only from a, a spiritual standpoint, but from a military standpoint and from a political standpoint as well. And so here we are, we're at this end of this 400-year period, they're doing what's right in their own sight, and the people basically say, you know what, we don't want to be led by God anymore. We're sick of it. Now, the question is, okay, you don't want to be led by God, then who do you want to be led by? Well, that's where we'll switch over then to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We'll begin with verse 5. And they say this, give us a what? Give us a? Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Now, what I haven't mentioned to you throughout this series is that in addition to the judges that were helping from the spiritual standpoint, there was also prophets, and the prophets would come in and they would speak on behalf of God. And a lot of times they were giving warning of, look, if you continue in your wicked ways, this is what's going to happen. Well, one of the prophets was named Samuel, and that's who we have here that we're looking at. And so it's during this time of Samuel that the people say, we don't want God to lead us anymore. We want a king to come in and lead us. And Samuel has to be thinking, did I do something wrong? Have I not been doing my job? And so he takes this before God, and he's like, God, what in the world is going on? Am I not representing you very well? Verses 6 and 7, then it says, Samuel was displeased with the request, and he went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Now, this is actually a, a good bit of advice to us and a good reminder to us that when you go out and you share your faith with others or you invite them to church, if they reject Jesus or they reject your invite to come to church, it isn't you that's being rejected. It's Jesus. It's the church that's being rejected. Your job is to simply pray for people and to invite people and to share your faith. It's his job then to bring conviction into their lives and to convince them to, to turn from their wicked ways and, and come back to him. It's not your job. Your job is simply to do your job. Pray, invite, share. Again, if they reject you, it's not you that's getting rejected. It's Jesus himself. Moving then on down into verses uh, 8 through 10. 
Ever since I brought them up from Egypt, God's still speaking here. Ever since I brought them up from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And so that's exactly what Solomon does, over, or Samuel does over the next couple of verses. He warns them, look, if you have a king, he's going to take your sons and send them off to war. If you have a king, he's going to take your daughters and enslave them inside of the palace. If you have a king, he's going to start to tax you. If you have a king, he may come in and take your land away. And Samuel, just one warning after another. Here is what a king will do in your life. But the people want nothing to do with it. They don't, they don't hear it. They want to do what's right in their own sight. They want what they want, and they want it right now, regardless of what the consequences may be. And, you know, sometimes God says, all right, I'm going to let you have it then. I tried to warn you. But if you want to do this, I'm going to let you do it. There's going to be consequences, but I'm going to let you do it. Sort of like you parents. Don't you sometimes warn your kids, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And they're like, no, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to. You're like, okay. There's going to be consequences, but okay. You know, Halloween's coming up, right? And your kids, they come home and they got the world supply of candy, right? And they're like, I'm going to eat all this tonight. And you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're like, no, no, no. And they're like, yeah, I want to eat it. You don't love me if you don't let me eat it. You know, and they're arguing and then all that. Sometimes it may just be good for your parents to go, okay. Go ahead and eat it all. There's going to be consequences. You're going to get really sick. But go ahead and eat it all. Because, see, if you just, like, force somebody to do something and, and that's the only reason they're complying, they haven't really learned. They're just being forced. Sometimes you have to, to give a little bit of freedom, allow them to learn from their mistakes and suffer the consequences. So the next morning, your kid wakes up after Halloween and goes, my belly really hurts. I'm so sick. Uh-huh. I told you. But guess what? They will never do again. You'll never ever eat the candy again, right? Because they've learned the lesson the hard way. And that's what God is doing here. He says to Samuel, all right, listen to what they're saying. Go ahead and let them have a king. And there's really four mistakes that the nation of Israel makes in today's story that we're going to be looking at. And it's four mistakes that we often make our, uh, ourselves. And so we need to learn from their mistakes. The, the first one is this, if you're taking notes. It's a mistake when I choose power over purpose. You know, God's intention for Israel had always been that they be a people of purpose, but here they're choosing power. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 to 22. Remember, Samuel has just given them this warning that, look, here's what's going to happen if you have a king. And it says this, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us in the battle. And so Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed, and he sent the people home. Now, this is amazing because they're saying, you know what? A king is going to lead us in the battle. Well, guess what? A king had been leading them in the battle. God is our king. 
And he had been leading them over and over and over again. They forgot all the victory that God had given them. And oftentimes they went into battles completely undermanned. And that was intentional. Remember a couple weeks ago as we started the series, we were talking about Gideon. And Gideon wants to go into the battle and he wants to take like tens of thousands of troops. And God keeps saying, no, 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 no. And he keeps whittling it down until eventually there's only 300 people left. Remember what the purpose of that was? What did, what did God say that he was doing through that? He was saying that I want to make sure that when you win the battle, you don't get credit for it. You don't take credit for it. That you realize that it was me that brought you the victory in this. And so here we are in this, this particular story, and, and Israel's like, a king's going to lead us in the battle. They forgot that it wasn't about them and the, the power that they could have. It was all about the power of God. The victory hadn't come because of their greatness. It had come because of the greatness of God. And we do the same thing oftentimes ourselves. We, we want power. We're like, you know what? If I could just have this title by my name, if I could just have this degree, then people, they'll listen to me. If I could just have these abilities, then God would use me to do great and mighty things for Him. If I just had a little bit more money, then I could make a major, major impact. And so we seek after all these things that the world says is important. Power and, and things and, and stuff and titles and money, you, you name it. Forgetting that the only reason we can ever do anything great in this life is because of the power that lives in us. If you are a follower of Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of you. That's what makes you great. Not you, not your talents, not your abilities. The power of God in you. That's what makes you great. Now, 500 years after this particular story we're looking at here today, the prophet Zechariah, he reminds us of this. And he says, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's not your might, it's not your power, it's his spirit living in you. That's what allows you to do great and mighty things for him. And I talked about that last week, that it's not about your abilities, it's about your availability. Are you going to take your time, your treasure, your talents, and your testimony and offer them to God and say, God, here they are. As little talent as I may have, I'm giving it to you. As little treasure as I may have, I'm giving it to you. As, as little of my testimony I have, I'm, I'm going to give it. You know, your testimony, people think, well, you know, I wasn't like a, a drug addict, you know, in the inner city, you know, and stuff. And, and I had murdered a bunch of people, and all of a sudden Jesus saved me, and now he's going to use me. In a, that's, most people don't have that testimony. Most people, you're just normal, everyday people that you discovered that Jesus loves you and Jesus died to save you. And so, yeah, take that little bit of a testimony that you have and, and let God use it. Many people say, I don't have a lot of time to serve and do things for God. Well, take the little bit of time that you do have and give it to Him. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, or by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. 
we go after the things that the world says is going to make us a success. Jesus says, don't chase those things. Don't chase after power. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Then all these other things will be given to you as well. Here's the second mistake we make. It's a mistake to want to blend in when God has called me to stand out. You know, as you look back at verse 20 there, they say, we want to be just like all the nations that are around us. You and I make the same mistake. It's not that we want to be like other nations, but we want to be like other people. And so we try to keep up with the Joneses, or we try to keep up with the Kardashians. We want to look like others and talk like others and dress like others and think like others and do everything else that everybody else is doing. But God says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be the best version of you that I created you to be, not the best version of somebody else that I created them to be. Only you can be you. And the best version of you doesn't look like your neighbor. Doesn't look like me. Doesn't look like anybody else. The best version of you is you looking more like Jesus in the way that he uniquely created you. So be you. Don't try to blend in and be like everybody else when God has called you to stand out, to be different. Now, when I say different, not in a weird way, not in a sinful way, but in a way that's going to be most effective for him to use you. Now, let's get back to the story here. There's a man named Saul who's appointed to be the very first king of Israel. And, you know, Saul is straight out of Hollywood casting. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he's big, he's powerful, he's strong. He looks the part of a king. The question is, is he going to follow after God or not? Because, see, that's the most important thing is, are you following after God or not? And as we look at his story, we're going to learn a, another mistake. Number three, it's a mistake to choose circumstances over God. I mean, this was a huge moment for Israel. It's the first time they were going to be led by a representative that wasn't the person that God wanted to have. Up to this point, he had chosen judges. Up to this point, he had chosen people like Moses or Abraham or, or others because of their righteousness. Up to this point, he had chosen the, the prophets because they were going to speak on behalf of him. But now it's just a man. And will that man follow him or not? And so Samuel, in his farewell speech, before handing over his authority to Saul, he gathers the people together and he says, look, don't forget about God. And he starts to remind them of all the things that God had done for him. He reminds them that it's God who brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. It's God who took you through the Red Sea. It's God who fed you while you were out in the desert. It's God who took you into the promised land. It's God who has raised up the judges and helped you in your times of need. But the mistake that Israel made over and over and over was that they always were like looking at their circumstances. And their circumstances dictated their actions. And so you can almost hear and feel the pain and anguish in Samuel's heart as he leaves them with these words. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 23 to 25. He says, it would be unthinkable for me to sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I will go on teaching you the way that is good and right. 
But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. Think of all the wonderful things that He has done for you. But if you and your king do evil, the Lord will wipe you out. Again, Israel always allowed their immediate circumstances to dictate the actions that they are going to take. And Samuel's going, don't forget that there is God. Don't forget all that he has done for you. And you know, oftentimes we, we make this mistake that in the heat of the moment, we allow our current circumstances to, to dictate the next steps that we take and the actions that we want to take. And what Samuel would say to you here in relation to this is, hey, don't forget those times that God has worked for you in the past. In the midst of those trying circumstances right now, don't get all caught up in the moment. Remember those times in the past when he's helped you get through a financial crisis. Remember those times in the past when he's helped you through your marital difficulty. Remember those times in the past when he brought healing into your life. Think about those things in the past and allow those things to dictate your next steps not what you're feeling right here and right now. Because what you feel right here and right now is often going to lead you the wrong way. You see, our current circumstances, they dictate the mood that we're in. And your mood will then dictate oftentimes what next steps you're going to take. Let me give you a simple example of this. How many of you know it's not a good idea if your current circumstances is, I'm really, really hungry to go grocery shopping? Why? Because you're going to come home with, there's the Oreos and the Doritos, and you know, you got the Mike and I. I mean, you're bringing home everything. Why? Because you're hungry. You don't make wise decisions. Or how many of you ever had a bad day at work? You ever had a bad day at work? Yep. Your current circumstance is, I had a bad day at work. Now you come home. If your spouse or your kids or whoever else they say, let's sit down and have a serious and an important conversation about a big decision we need to make as a family. Is that a good time to do it? No, why? Because your current circumstances have impacted your mood. And it's going to dictate maybe the decisions that you make then. And so you've got to be very, very careful about that. Always step back and ask, what would God want in this situation, not what does my current circumstance almost demand that I do. Which is what Samuel's saying here. He says, obey God. Even in the midst of your circumstances, even if they're bad circumstances, and things will go well for you. But if you allow your current circumstances to dictate what you do, and you don't follow God, then guess what? You're going to fall flat on your face. Which leads then to the mistake that Saul himself makes. Number four on your outline. It's a mistake to only partially obey God. Now I want to fast forward in the story. It's now decades into Saul being the king. And he's gotten married. He's started a family. He's had some, some military success. And all throughout this, as he continues going, he's becoming more proud. He's becoming more boastful. He's becoming less and less dependent on God. Now, God had left Samuel in his life sort of as a spiritual advisor, and sometimes Saul would listen to him, sometimes he didn't. But here's what the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. One day Samuel told Saul, The Lord had me choose you to be the king of his people Israel. Now listen to the, 
this message from the Lord. When the Israelites were on their way out of Egypt, the nation of Amalek attacked them. I am the Lord all-powerful, and now I'm going to make Amalek pay. Go and attack the Amalekites. Destroy them and all of their possessions. What does it say? Destroy them and how much? Some of it? All of their possessions. Don't have any pity. Kill their men, women, children, even their babies. Slaughter their cattle, their sheep, their camels, and their donkeys. Now, let me stop real quick. And if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about when God asks that, like, kill everybody, including women, children, all that kind of stuff. I talked about why that is. So if you missed that particular message, go back a couple weeks ago, and uh, you can listen to the explanation of it. So I'm not going to take the time for that. But here's what I want you to see. God had commanded that everything and everyone be destroyed. Skip down to verses 7 to 9 then. Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah to Shur, which is just east of Egypt. Every Amalekite was killed with the exception of King Agag. Saul and his army let Agag live, and they also did what? They, what's it say? They spared the best sheep and cattle. They didn't want to destroy anything of value, so they only killed the animals that were worthless or weak. Saul is so proud of himself, in fact, so proud that he has a monument built on that very spot to celebrate what, in his mind, was a great victory. Now, God reveals to Samuel what Saul had done, and Samuel goes out to meet him there on the battlefield. And Saul greets him, and he says, look, the, the Lord has given us a great victory. We did everything that he asked us to do. Samuel says, if you did everything that the Lord asked you to do, why is it then that I hear the bleeding of sheep and cattle in my ears? Saul says, well, actually, we just saved the, the best animals so that we can later on offer them up as sacrifices to God. And Samuel says, but that's not what God asked you to do, though. Now, at first, Saul, he, he blames the soldiers and says, oh, they're the ones who came up with the idea. But Saul keeps on, or Samuel keeps on him and, and keeps pressing him, and Saul tries to reason with him. He says, yeah, but what we're doing here is a good thing. We're going to destroy the animals anyway. We're going to sacrifice them to God. But again, partial obedience is disobedience. And that's why Samuel says to him in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, obedience is better than sacrifice. Let me say that again. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, it doesn't matter that Saul was almost obedient. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Now, let me rephrase this a different way. It was an illustration I used the other week. Uh, I was talking about, you know, with Lisa. Uh, imagine this. What if I came to her and I said, 99.9% .9 of the time, I am sexually faithful to you. Do you think that's something she's going to celebrate and go, oh, wow, 99.9% .9 of the time, you're sexually faithful to me? Or is she going to be disappointed? Is she going to start yelling at me? Because I haven't been faithful at all. 99.9% .9 faithfulness is actually unfaithfulness. It's the same way with God. 99.9% .9 obedience to God is still disobedience. Now, let me be very, very clear here. We will never, ever be perfect this side of heaven. There's still going to be those times that you do things that later on, maybe it's a day later, a week later, a year later, that you look back on it and you go, oh, wow, I messed up in that moment. I actually sinned against God. And what you need to do then is make it right with God. And then if possible, make it right with other people. What I'm talking about, though, is we can't have those times where we go, yeah, I know God, but. 
yeah, God, I know that your word says I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Or, God, I know I'm not supposed to be doing that, but yet I'm going to do it anyway. That's what I'm talking about here. We can't be like Saul. We can't justify our actions. And again, Saul, he's basically like, we're, we're going to end up killing the animals anyway, so I don't really see what the big deal is. Well, here's what the big deal is. Not only is partial obedience disobedience, but so too is delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So let me ask you, what does this look like in your life? Is there an area of your life that you're only being partially obedient to what God wants you to do? Is there an area of your life that you know that you're supposed to be doing something, but yet you keep delaying it over and over and over again? Yeah, I know God, but Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He didn't say, if you love me, you're going to, you know, fill in the blank of all the various things that we think that Jesus thinks, you know, as far as what it means to love him. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Yeah, but I'm working hard. I'm doing all kinds of things for Jesus. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I don't care how much you're doing for him, how much you're serving and, and doing great things for him. If you're not being obedient, then you're still in the wrong. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God tells Samuel, you know what? It grieves me that I made Saul the king. It's time to find a new one. Now, you may be going, Gilbert, this doesn't really seem fair though because as compared to all the other kings, Saul was actually doing really well. He was really good. But God hadn't called him to be good. God had called him to be different. And God is asking the same thing from you. To be different, to, to stand out, to, to be obedient, to be in the world but not of the world. And why is this important? Why is it important that, that you obey? Well, it has not only to do with you, it has to do with others as well. You see, there's people in your workplace, there's people in your neighborhood, there's people in this general community that their whole impression of who Jesus is, of what the church is about, of what it means to be a Christian is solely based on them watching how you're living your life. Somebody once said it this way, that the only Bible some people will ever read is your lifestyle. That you are the only Bible some people are ever going to read. And so again, this is why it's so important that you just don't say that you have faith, but that you actually live out your faith, that you model it for other people. Again, that you're in the world, but not of the world. So let's be different. Israel asked for a king, someone that they could bow down to. You and I, we don't ask for a king, but we do bow down to other things, don't we? And oftentimes, who we bow down to is ourselves. We want to please ourselves. 
we've made ourselves king instead of Jesus king. Or we want to bow down and please other people. But let's make a commitment as a, as a church community that we're not going to bow down to please others. We're not going to bow down to please ourselves. We're only going to bow down to the only one who deserves to be bowed down to, who is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. His name is Jesus. You have a choice. Bow down to Jesus and it will go well for you. It will be well with your soul. Or you can do what the world does and cry out, we want this and we want that. To allow your circumstances to dictate your actions. To sort of blend in with everybody else. Or you can stand out and say, I'm going to be different. I'm going to bow down to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to come together on this uh, cold, rainy morning and just to be sort of warmed and inspired by your word. To remember that it's not by might, it's not by power, but by your spirit living in us that we can do anything. And so, Lord, I do pray that we wouldn't try to blend in and be like everybody else, but because of Your Spirit living inside of us, that we would be bold, we would be courageous, we would be strong in You. And we would go out and, and do great and mighty things for You, not because of our talents and our abilities, but because You are working in us and through us. And Lord, as those things happen, that we wouldn't be like Saul and become proud and boastful. We would give You all the credit for it. That we would say, it's only because of my King, Jesus, that I'm able to do anything. But Lord, we get so distracted by the, the things of this world and the cares of this world, the circumstances of this world. Help us to take our eyes off of those things and put our eyes squarely and fully on You. To not waver at all. To be completely obedient to You. And not try to, to justify the things that we don't want to do for You or to delay the things we don't want to do for You, but to fully submit to You. To truly make You the, the leader of our lives. That God, You have 100% of me. So I'll go where You want me to go. I'll do whatever it is You want me to do. I'll say whatever it is You want me to say. I'm going to give whatever it is You want me to give. Right then, right there. I'm just going to be obedient to Your voice. Again, Jesus, we thank You so much that You give us a brand new life and a fresh start. Help us not to walk back into our old life, but to walk and live confidently in You. I pray all these things in Your precious name. Amen.